I see a bad moon rising. I see trouble on the way. I see earthquakes and lightning. I see a bad time today. Well, don't go around tonight, or it's bound to take your life. There's a bad moon on the rise. I hear rivers overflowing. I know the end is coming soon. Look like we're in for nasty weather. Wanna have run? Put some whiskey in your water, sugar in your tea. What's all these crazy questions you're asking me? This is the best party that could ever be. Turn on the lights, because I don't want to see. Mama told me not to come. Mama told me not to come. That ain't the way to have fun, son. Open up this window. Let some air into this room. I think I'm almost choking. I saw a sail for you. That cigarette you're smoking scared me half death. Open up the window, sucker. Let me catch my breath. Yes, Randy Newman wrote that song. Definitely one of our best guys to write songs. God love them, don't we, folks? Uh, so today I wanted to talk uh, as about broadly, very broadly, about like what... It means to seek meaning from politics in the current moment and how that manifests itself uh, in mass politics, not, not niche politics, but like centered around significant numbers of Americans, all identifying with the same a constellation of symbols and ideas with the same leadership that is able to exercise like actual influence. So we're not talking about anything on the left. We're really only talking about liberal and conservative, the two parties. And specifically wanted to start talking about what it is to get meaning from politics. If you are a Republican, that is to say, if you're a Trump fan, Black Jacobins is next week. So there's this article this uh, in the Post today, Washington Post, 
to Trump's hardcore supporters, his rallies weren't politics. They were life. And it is an embedding a reporter did with a bunch of people who were essentially deadheads for Trump rallies. These are people who would follow Trump's uh, public addresses across the country. They would fly uh, and they would uh, stay in each other's houses. They formed a little community of like the hardcore. Like these would be your the closest thing you would have to like the ultra comfers and street fighters of the of the Nazi Party if you were going to try to make the facile fascism argument. But whereas those people. Uh, were traumatized World War I veterans in Germany. Their equivalent here are all pre-diabetic senior citizens. Because for the young, politics is as dead as it was before it was born. That doesn't move people. The symbols have been exhausted. So they've tuned out, by and large. People who are still invested in this shit are people who still have an investment in this system because it's done, served them well enough their whole life. And now their politics is this spectacle of, uh, of uh, nihilistic excess and, and uh, jouissance. It's fandom. It is fandom. And if you want to Explain, and if you want to understand January 6th, it's not a coup. It's not a, it was not an insurrection. Uh, it was barely, not even honestly a riot. It was, well, it was a riot uh, like when the Lakers won the, uh, the championship. Or like when Vancouver lost to Boston in the Stanley Cup. It is an excess of emotional feeling associated with a spectacle of mass uh, spectation, of mass convic- of mass subordinating into a. It's like you're. It's the sense of being subsumed into a greater uh, consciousness that comes from mass participation, ritual mass participation, the kind of things that make people's lives up when they're struggling for survival and for uh, power over their lives. The political struggle that defined humanity for most of its time. But that has been superseded in America because we got bought out. Everybody got bought out. All autonomy, all ability to to have a mass consciousness, like work on behalf of something beyond capital, beyond the algorithm, beyond the the inhuman uh, uh, imperative under undergirding everything, all of that uh, all that ability has been stripped of us and depoliticized. Whether we uh, live or die, whether the oceans rise or fall, whether uh, we uh, are able to keep our house or we have to sell it, whether we have to go in the pod and eat the bugs, all of these decisions have been taken out of the realm of politics. They're not considered by us, so we can't struggle for them. And there's no uh, 
social order to back with like your material struggles beyond, uh, you know, criminality or, or something like that. Because, uh, if you want to express antisocial behavior, because all violence, uh, has been monopolized by the techno capitalist state. So you cannot struggle on your own behalf, but in exchange, you don't feel the need to struggle because you're otherwise compensated in the form of the dream of, the hope of, not the actual fulfillment of, uh, material uh, consumption. Homes, consumer products, conveniences. And this is not anyone's fault because this change happens because the uh, structure of capitalism accelerates Uh, accelerates proletarianization over time, but not evenly. And, and the, the, the role of the post-war, specifically the American post-war government, was to direct as much as possible uh, the misery of the building of capitalism, world capitalism, away from Americans, at least the Americans who mattered. That, that was what government did existed to do to keep the people in the center happy enough to keep the machine going. And that meant that doing most of the real exploitation out in the periphery in the colonies, where there is nothing but a pure immiseration and pure exploitation, but that is dis, uh, abstracted away from the real lived experience of people in the center. They get to benefit just from the fucking excess and not feel the exploitation that's inherent in making that, uh, making these trade routes and creating these supply chains. And the difference between now and uh, uh, what we think of American government, like the expectation that was created by the New Deal and everything, is that uh, the uh, hose is broken and it's just, it's hitting everybody now. It was all, it, the, the tank was filling, but now there's nowhere else for it to go. Total immiseration is coming for people who were at the center. And that is the, uh, the entirety of our, our political crisis, is that reality, is that emergence. And what that means is that people are getting more and more anxious and they're needing their politics, which is where they have subsumed away their, uh, their sense of any control over their lives. Because... Since the 70s, there has been a gener more generalized immiseration, slowly but surely. The ones who lasted the longest were the ones who got the homeowner deal. The ones who in 1980 were said, look, if you got a house by now, congratulations. We're going to create a, a bubble around this house that is going to make it, turn it into a uh, guaranteed investment. A, 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 a solid gold bond that will always appreciate in value because it is supported by the entire structure of the United States government and economy. It becomes a load-bearing member. And so they got low property taxes. They got uh, uh, reduced um, income taxes, a deregulated market for them to invest in. They got stuff out of it, but their kids aren't getting that deal. The people around them who weren't as lucky didn't get the deal, and so they're feeling the heat turn up. 
but nobody signed off on any of this because the whole time this was happening, actual politics was turned into a pure spectacle of fandom where you go to seek the reason that the, uh, that so- soccer hooliganism exploded in England after world war two is that you had had the British of people who had been the most martial humans on earth, people who had fucking galloped through history at the, at the drumbeat of a, of a world destroying empire where, um, where military service and, and military sacrifice was a defining feature of masculinity and uh, just told, no, no, they don't, we don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. Those animal energies got to go somewhere. And if they're deferred from politics, they go to some other public place, public ritual that can allow people to feel communal for a minute, feel like one, one force, feel like one mind, even if it's around a spectacle, an, an enjoyment, a game, a circus, it is a venting of that energy that cannot otherwise be satisfied because the rest of your life is, de- is determined by the patterns of the market and of exchange. And you have no real autonomy. You cannot choose to do anything. And that drains you uh, uh, and, and uh, alienates. And it has to be uh, emotionally grappled with and that's where it goes and it was traditionally sports but now it's become politics because politics has been totally uh, removed from a question of accountability the reason these guys can do this stuff and care uh, and and treat our institutions so so cavalierly is because they know at heart more than the liberals do that none of them matter that might makes right that that is it that, the, that all of these niceties are a charade. And so politics is this, it's, a, it's an indulgence. It's an emotional indulgence. It's a time to feel like you're in a room with other people who are also you, and you get to see yourself reflected and validated in a way that you can't in a world where you are alienated against from yourself. And so that means that politics becomes part of the spectacle of fandom and the ritual of fandom. And that's what the Trump rallies were and are, is a ritual of fandom transferred to politics. Uh, Which is why I think the best way to understand uh, January 6th is as a sports riot. And the thing that makes that meaningful is that this is all individuated. This is not a political act. They're not actually coming together as political actors. They are not imagining themselves capable of actually changing anything. They can only express their libidos. They can only indulge. And that means not cooperating. That means not wasting any time. They could be selfieing themselves in front of Nancy Pelosi's office. They will not sacrifice anything from their pleasure. Their pleasure is why they are fighting this fight in the first place to protect their fucking pleasure. So why the hell would they give that up when they don't think it's possible, when they have discounted, because they have not lived it, the viability of human connection that can supersede the algorithm of capitalism? No, that is inexorable. And so what did they do? They wanted to overthrow the government. 
How? They were going to mill around until somebody else did it. And that is the key, is that the American political subject is not political because he is always imagining that somebody else, somebody as in the sense of some organization, some uh, abstracted mechanism that he is not part of will do it. But that's impossible. We all It has to be us. We have to feel like it's us or else you're not going to move the goddamn wheel because otherwise everyone's going to hang back and do the least and do the most self-indulgent thing, which is what all politics is now. Everyone is mesmerized by the pleasure fucking principle because it's all we think is real. And Trump is like the leading edge of hysterical boomers who are heading towards a death that they cannot comprehend trying to grasp uh, meaning and, and emotion and, and, uh, and a sense of, of genuine mystical, like, communal experience in the um, short time they have left because everything else has been burned out. They're all Stephen Paddocks. They're all husks. Nothing can get them off anymore because they're old and they're, they're wasted up. And, the, the, and uh, this is a new thing, this feeling, this pseudo-politics of, of, of fandom. But it's purely motivated by selfish indulgence, which means no one will actually do the work of politics. They will just mill around, and then the people who are paychecks are being signed by capitalism, and which is has as its core uh, objective maintaining the the schematic of American democracy, quote unquote, in order to maintain a minimal uh, consent to fill in the gap of that that cannot be technologically imposed. Yeah, I mean, these literally are people who thought the rapture was going to happen. And then Trump showed up and, like, it just became, they can't imagine heaven anymore because it's coming too close. They have to feel it in the world. They have to immunitize the eschaton. They have to feel God well alive because they have no faith that there will be an afterlife because they are totally alienated because they've never had significant communal experiences that have bonded them to others that have given them definitions of words that are more spiritually uh, invested than the ones that we just carry around in our uh, conversation. And so they're grasping for it. They're going to do it now, but the only way they can do it is just to in, do it the way that you watch the other team. The team, the fan, the celebrity, the, the 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 high priest, basically, like Trump, is and, and represents a force beyond you that you cannot imp, uh, impose upon. You're recreating a mythology in the in the here and now to make up for the one that you can no longer sustain in the thereafter because it feels too real. And part of that, I think, is that these people have death drives. I mean, it gets over, it's like, oh, uh, uh, Republicans are a death cult. I mean, sure, capitalism is a death cult. I mean, that doesn't really tell you anything about what to do about it. It's just, it's, it's just a bumper sticker. But, um, but in a very specific sense, I think that some of these people who are really committed to Trump are seeking an oblivion that involves him, that are, that are, that want to die, like, in a way that a Viking wants to die in the field of bat battle so that he can go sup with the gods in Valhalla. These people think that if they die, like, in the 
orbit of Trump, in the trajectory of Trump, they will be absorbed into his light in some way. They will be lifted up and made they, – because they see him as them, like it really is – the thing they love about Trump is the thing that is they, they recognize about themselves. Uh, and so – So they want to be validated by him. They want some validation from this other and to be subsumed in it. And the only way to do that is to pursue life with purpose, but that purpose can only be rotating around the thing and feeling the rays of it because you cannot imagine political subjectivity because it's been ground out of you because we really are the stripped threads of society here. Like we have broke for all the reasons that the Frankfurt School and everybody's senses described and the fucking postmodernists and everything, we have busted off the conveyor belt of class consciousness and class formation because we've gotten to the terminal endpoint of capitalism where it is no longer, it has fulfilled its historic role and it's still around. The only explanation for that is that its superstructural powers have overwhelmed the machinery, like the actual machinery of, of human interaction. Uh, and that, So yeah, they uh, we are in, we are through the looking glass in a real sense, and our, the, the 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 task before us then is to live in that reality. How do we confront the truth of this and like cut through all of the wishful thinking that undergirds our libidinal politics? And this is what happens. These people in this article are the op, are the people who either cannot imagine or refuse to do that, and therefore seek oblivion. Like I think these people want to die in Trump's honor in some way. This, this is one of my, this sentence, this paragraph is one of my absolute favorite. First of all, among these group of people, uh, one of the, one of them dies is one of the first people to die of coronavirus in the country. And it immediately shocks them and horrifies them, but that they end up turning it into a, a, a motivate, uh, a story in their head about how it's actually a, a Christine Wittner's fault. And they start, they keep traveling to these rallies, even in like in empty planes, because they're, they're that devoted to it, they they refuse to believe the dangers there. They're like seeking to be around the virus. But listen to this. This is my favorite paragraph. When Randall Thom, a sixty-year-old ex-marine with a long gray mustache, fell severely ill with a high fever and debilitating congestion, he refused to go to the hospital. He was a heavy smoker who was significantly overweight and knew he faced an increased risk of severe effects from COVID-19. Still, he refused to take a coronavirus test and potentially increase the caseload on Trump's watch. Quote, I'm not going to add to the numbers, he told me. Tom survived the scare, but died months later in a car accident while returning home to Minnesota from a Trump boat parade in Florida. Now, to me, this is a person who is seeking Valhalla, in, in, uh, where, where all the gods are Trump, and it's just Trump as a mirror telling him how great he is and how wonderful he is and how he's tremendous and how he's so special and how we love him and how we love him. Like these are war boys for Trump. But what does that mean? Does that mean following someone's political directions? Hey, you know, uh, seize that building. Hey, uh, execute those prison prisoners. Hey, show up for this fucking meeting so we all know what we're doing. No, 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 no. They watch the team on the field and then they get 
They get their uh, sense of uh, pleasure and identity from a mutual experience of um, of uh, spectacleized uh, indulgence, just a pure uh, a, a sin. If you want to get metaphysical about it, like building this entire device of uh, of capitalism that is destroying the earth and rendering to rendering it to the purpose of giving me everything I ever wanted, even though none of it has ever made me happy. Put it in my mouth. Let me eat it. Num num num. Let me just have it. I, I, I need it. I, I cannot handle any less pleasure that I'm having right now. And in fact, even the thought that I might have less pleasure in the future than I have right now makes my current pleasure uh, miserable. But uh, we still need to direct the entirety of the world economy around this thing. We still have to have that uh, goal, the miserable pursuit and consumption of fucking, uh, of of the limited resources of the earth where all of the misery of capitalism is externalized in the form of our drive to consume, which once it became the engine of uh, the world global system in the 19th century, you could argue that was the end of humankind. And maybe we can fight it back, but I mean, for real, that was very, very bad. Because once that happens, we will consume until it's exhausted because all social conflict is resolved through consumption. Yes, there are wars. Yes, uh, there is class conflict and there's political struggle. But fundamentally, the sum aggregate of the uh, governmental policies of capitalist governments is to repress to the extent that you can and then increase consumption to the extent that you have to. That is the, that is the, uh, the algorithm. That is the decision matrix. Repress until it becomes unsustainable because it undermines uh, uh, consensus government. It undermines uh, the adherence, the basic, like, epis- the, the basic, uh, 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 like emotional adherence to the system of your subjects. And so those people get benefits and you cut it along geographic racial lines. You create bright lines that can be seen in the skin or uh, and in gender. And then you, at the top of the hierarchy, that trickling down, buy off everybody. So the wealthiest get the most, of course, indulgent lives, but then there are those below who get a little better and a little better. And, and the post-war Keynesian bubble was it filtering down for the first time to the working class. And that meant that when the crisis of capitalism came in the 70s, everyone was a consumer. They were not workers, even if they lived, worked working class lives. They were fundamentally estranged from politics by the experience of living that lifestyle where all of your anxieties, all of your social conflicts, all of your alienation is can only be soothed, can only be directly and, and in the present sense 
uh, uh, extinguished through consumption, through indulgence. You give up control of your life. You give up the ability to direct that animal energies in your bodies into anything collective. The, the reason that we send our young people to kill each other in bullshit wars so that they can vent off that sense of life, that sense of wanting to actually assert control of their environment, that capitalism denies them. That has to be vented elsewhere, ritually. First in violence, and then once you've got people comfortable enough, uh, in le- leisure until they go insane and start up killing themselves, which is what we're doing. The West, the death of the West is that suffocation by, con- by pleasure, by consumption. Drowning in honey, awaken a dream. Uh, from a great Clem Side song, The Secret Rulers of the World. Secret Rulers of the world, they have stolen my girl. They drifted away on a black limousine. And that was the last of them I'd ever seen. It's a good song. It really gets the whole arc of uh, modern politics. It's like, it's essentially like all every all of Pynchon, like just crushed into one's idea. Just we're, we're all at the mercy of the lizards. All at the mercy of the lizards. That is uh, the abstract, uh, the profit motive expressed socially, which is consumption. That is the, uh, the profit motive, the price signal expressed in social reality is people maximizing the, their personal pleasure, as the homo economicus model says. And what that creates is a system where Decisions, the uh, degree to which a decision matters to the direction of the system is totally proportionate to how uh, close the people there are to the benefits of the system. The closer you are to the real gears, when the thing formed, and then uh, the, the more insulated you are, And our political cultures are all just built around certain formations that show up at certain points in time and then responses to them, like the binary between our early Yankee New England uh, political economy and the later uh, Southern agrarian uh, plantation slave one that has defined our politics ever since. And that is distinguished by place and space time, not by anything else. Liberalism broadly defined that uh, was born in the counting houses of New England. Uh, liberal conservatism broadly defined was born in the uh, in the slave markets of, of of the South, and those are places separated uh, geographically and over time, so that their political cultures emerge differently. the the uh, The plantation culture is the uh, real tip of the spear of capitalism. Uh, and therefore, it cannot afford itself the, the illusions of uh, capitalism back in uh, Boston. What it's done instead is that if you're on the top in the Charleston society, 
you are presiding over slavery, the thing that makes it acceptable to you is the almost infinite amount of treats that you get out of it. Because one of the reasons that it's such a uh, relatively inefficient system relative to uh, capitalism in the North is that um, uh, is that there's no reinvestment, really. Once you have a, a plantation, you just consume the, the profits, and that's why they lived so disgustingly lavishly. The New England Puritans didn't have to live that way. They accumulated money, and then they had a little house, and they went to a little uh, clapboard shack. Maybe they had a bigger house as they got more successful, but at no point did they need to uh, organize their, their life around those pleasures. They had sublimated away a lot of that into their religious convictions, into, at that point, their, uh, their Puritan Calvinist beliefs. But over time, that translates into uh, secular liberalism. But it's from the same, it's some of the same arrangement. People doing merchant capitalism, which is clothed in rituals of consent and has certain understandings about what things like liberty and freedom mean. What these words mean are defined in that time and place. The rival uh, was developed in the South. It, it grew in tandem with the North, but at a slower pace, but was where the super profits were to be found. So it had disproportionate influence in the early days and later because it's where the profits were, even if there wasn't a political organization around it. And so it was able to stage a last-minute fight for its own survival, the way that the old regime always will. Because remember, this is an attempt to reestablish or to uh, resist capitalism, the imperatives capitalism, through slavery. It was a rearguard action by the old aristocracy, the old land-based ruling party that was being overthrown over the course of the rise of modernity from the 17th, 16th to the uh, 19th century is what you're seeing that. So it's all about access to treats. Politics has become, our politics shorn of, uh, class basis, which we briefly had in this country from about the, from the thirties until the, like the sixties, you had a little brief period where there was an actual organized working class access of demands of political representation that had an, uh, its own superstructure and its own, uh, uh, its own counter hegemony, uh, even though it was within capitalism. Uh, but it was never strong enough to, to uh, withstand the corrosive power of the consumer model to s dissolve the capital, the, the socialist movement from outside from by dispersing its membership into suburbs and making them into fucking homeowners, which makes them into petty bourgeois in a, in a meaningful way. To, to some extent, they're no longer simply workers. And they live distanced from one another. And the time that they used to spend socially interacting is now created by uh, is, is now now spent interacting with a pseudo uh, community created in the media space by capitalism. And now at the very end of this process, 
We are a population who is, to one degree or another, fully alienated from politics. The younger people, by and large, have given up on anything happening, anything changing through uh, collective action because they've never seen it work. They have never seen an example of it. They have only heard descriptions of ideas that don't correspond to the life that they, as they understand it. And then you have older people who remember a time when there was a, a more uh, coherent social bond and that there was uh, that there was some sort of social responsibility beyond individual consumption. Uh, but it's been so damn long that now uh, their understanding of those concepts is wrapped up in a bunch of other concepts about identity, about uh, 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 racial hierarchy and gender hierarchy. All these things that are wired in to living in a capitalist system are also there. And it just becomes one part of a mosaic of design, of things that, is always going to be there, but in years in, in previous generations was uh, was always undermined by the fact that you could vote as a fucking worker in America and expect your interests to be actually represented in terms of trade policy and taxes and things like that. Uh, and that handle broke in the seventies, and so no one really thinks that that's possible anymore, that you can get anything out of it. So what else are you going to vote for? You're mostly still going to vote. Some of you aren't going to stop. But some of you are going to still vote. And then who do you vote for? And then Trump comes along and he just represents this package of uh, – he is just the sum total of the culture that made him. He is this sock puppet just filled with the tides of history. He is like a Napoleon in that he has embodied the moment. But whereas Napoleon embodied the dynamic moment of capitalism in its birth, liberal capitalism, at its real birth on the continent, he was like there at the explosion of the fucking uh, the Big Bang. Trump is sort of like Napoleon at the end of that in that he is here at after the energy has been totally dispersed and the thing is collapsing in on itself. Because all of the... Uh, the modernizing forces that Napoleon unleashed on the on the world, the the, the modernization of, of uh, legal codes, the abolition of uh, of feudal land tenure, uh, Jewish toleration, which sets the tone for uh, like cosmopolitan values associated with liberalism and capitalism. He is unleashing this dynamo upon uh, Europe uh, and all the things that are created out of that unified nation state with a, uh, a, uh, a unified nation state with a federal distribution of power, strong and authoritative central governments that, that uh, essentially coordinate national capitalist formations that maintain like a, a state competitive framework with one another. Uh, and then within those, the, the systems of technology that connect these things into uh, one uh, holistic uh, being uh, and that they're, and that create one citizenry. Like the, the, the revolution and the Napoleonic Wars were one of the big ratchets in making France into a thing because there were relatively few people in what is now France spoke even spoke French until the late 19th century. 
And that process, that wrenching process happens all through the 19th century, and it's brought into beginning by the Napoleonic convulsion. And it's a rationalizing process. But what it creates over time is what we have, which is a uh, system where the liberal imperative, having overwhelmed uh, class consciousness, is now totally unshackled from uh, any uh, real technological constraints and can now operate as a global hive mind of consumption. And if Napoleon emerges from in one moment to take the reins of power and you know show the muscular power of liberalism, Trump represents liberalism exhausted of all power to do anything because Trump is just the sock puppet that filled up. Trump had no real politics. Trump had no real desire to be president. He had no organization. He had no ideology. He had never planned to be president. He ran as a fit of pique and as a publicity stunt. And he was able to win because all of the forces of global of, of, of American capitalism had come together to create a population of people who were fully atomized, fully metabolized the consumption of themselves as consumers, their identity based around consumption. Identities that ex- include a bunch of ideas about hi- uh, hierarchies and differentiations along age, gender, race, but that are fundamentally individual. And that interlaced with our class position, but not as anything that can be determined, like as, or the, not that anything that's self-conscious, just as the thing that sh- sets the shape that people take. Oh, shit. Uh, and that they are going to uh, in, involve themselves in a politics that is entirely spectacle-based, where they have lost all belief that politics matters, that politicians tell the truth, that we, what you vote for matters. Everybody absorbed the last 40 years from Watergate to the, the fucking financial collapse and had the same underlying understanding that everyone is lying and it's all full of shit. Liberals have fantasies to try to deny that. Conservatives accept it. That's the only difference. And once again, that's because one of them loves doing rules and rituals to uh, abet their their consciousness about being in capitalism, and others just want to wield the fucking axe. And, and so people are driven purely by their resentments, their loathing of another, their desire to see politics as a conflict with the other, where they're in uh, existential threat and where uh, they're at all points imagining the, in some way the discomfort and pleasure of their enemy, which is not a, a class enemy, but is just this social uh, gorgon conjured up by uh, uh, our conjured up by our fantasies uh, of uh, these identities that we're protecting in the face of a collapse that we did not sign up for. So everybody is one way or another disillusioned with uh, the actual functions of democracy. So that means that we can lose, we can indulge ourselves. And one of the big things that undermined me getting Trump right in that I was, I failed to at every point uh, assume he would win as soon as he showed up is that I thought more people had faith in the system enough to not want to see these structures defamed. Because Trump being running for president is degrading to the institution. It is degrading to politics in a real way. 
And I assume that there were enough people, especially people who voted, who cared enough about these structures to want to see them preserved. And it turns out, no, at the end of this thing, at the, at the, at the old, scared, white end of this thing where culture, where, where, where precarity is purely a matter of an aesthetic revulsion at changing standards and threats to hierarchy that really doesn't have anything to do with your material conditions except at the bottom where it's less, least organized. At the top, where it's most organized, it's just petty bourgeois grievance. And if you combine petty bourgeois grievance with a system of uh, telling you that actually it's very uh, these things, these institutions are all very uh, respectable. They don't, they're not filled with liars. Uh, you should trust the media, and you should trust political uh, parties, and you should trust science. And they say, yeah, this is all bullshit, and you're all saying that because you run them. So I don't give a fuck if we if we get hamburger grease on the Constitution. We don't have the illusions about the system that you do because we don't require to live in denial. Because our political uh, our political pa- uh, uh, conception, our toolhouse of, of our reality tunnel that we're boring through the world, is determined by our class position and our cultural position. And so Trump just shows up and he's like, hey, I'm you. I'm, I'm a famous, cool guy uh, who is as petty and vain and persnickety and uh, miserable as you, which means that he has the same things he doesn't like that they don't like. And that means that he has the same things that he likes, the same symbols, the same lazy symbols that they like. Like he loves the flag because he thinks America is him. It's like these people love Jesus because they think it's America because they think it's them. It's pure narcissism which is all the a capitalist consumer economy can create as narcissists because that's where the price signal is generated by narcissism. So those are the those are the uh, the MAGA ladies and, and gentlemen who travel the country, and all they're ever going to do is go to fucking rallies. All they're ever going to do is go to rallies, and then if one of, if somebody says, "Hey, let's go to the Capitol," they'll go, they'll storm in, then they'll wander around and take pictures, just like you would do if your t- team won the championship. You'd go downtown, you maybe throw uh, throw a police car over, maybe you make love in the middle of the street, and you go home. Because it's just a venting of energy. It is not a political act. They are venting off their native creative impulse that is that as in creating the world by imposing your will on it, which necessitates collective action right now. Real expression of, 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 of the of the will to human liberty, power, freedom identity, whatever you want to call it, it requires coordination and cooperation because right now we're all being ruled by the algorithm. Which is that we are seeking the treats even as they run out and even as we recognize that they run out, we are seeking the treats so that we can be the one to go last. If that's all we can hope from the future. 
And it is it does come down to your conviction, your belief that there's another way that people can be. That really is what it boils down to. Do you believe that humans can at a certain level and then that you have like a, a you don't have everybody that's ridiculous at first or even in the very near term, but you have a nucleus of people who are able to generate a political, cultural, economic inflection point that pushes through the human population the same way that individual consciousness did, the same way that the liberal identity was emerged from Europe, just burst out of Europe in the, uh, in the 17 and 1800s that swept over the world. It doesn't have everybody now, but it has, it now has for a long time now hit an inflection point. I would say the inflection point is probably like uh, 1989 where this is now the animating uh, metaphysics of the global economy. The people who are actually around the machines that move the stuff around, even though we have reached a point where, we could program them differently. We would have to do it, not any group within us. And we have not had that transformation yet. And if you think that that transformation is possible, that you get to a point where uh, enough people motivated by a felt connection to others that allowed them to transcend the pleasure principle, the consumption principle, enough to see the problems in front of them, to act together with the other people to create institutions of uh, organization and then uh, political power. And that if that were, even in the context of collapse and humanity fracturing and, and, and uh, the global supply chain breaking down, still within this, the possibility that formations could survive, that could eventually... Uh, form the the nucleus of a revolutionized human subject. A situation where you have a global population that has the instinctive um, emotional sense of obligation to every uh, theoretical person in their world as they do the people around them if not in the same intensity, then much closer than we have now, which is zero, where all human considerations are always sacrificed to personal uh, consumption. And you got to ask yourself, and, and if you don't, if you don't think it's possible, if you think that, that we were, we are too alienated from each other, that, that, and this is sort of like the, the Christian case against socialism is, you know, we fucking, somebody bit the apple, you know, there is no, what you're asking for is something that would be in practice, the coming of the millennium, that would be uh, heaven, that would be the, 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 the apocalypse, like the good one. And there can be no heaven on earth. Not, it's not for us here. It's for us in the everlasting. That's the, what Christians would say. I think that heaven can exist on earth at all points. 
and it does exist on Earth in places where people have allowed it to uh, exist, little wormholes to heaven, uh, and that the task of humanity is to unify them into one uh, one giant portal that allows us to step truly into another dimension, into another another Earth where we're all the same but different. And I can understand if you don't think that's possible. Like I said, it uh, it is millenniary, you know, in a way that uh, that the jaundiced uh, late capitalist subject has a hard time believing it. So, and I certainly didn't for a very long time. If, if pressed, I would say no. no. No, 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 no. Because you're only seeing things from the outside. But I now know that experiences is what generates real knowledge, not any kind of rational uh, uh, syllogism. Real knowledge comes from experience, which is then translated into language that we use to convince ourselves that that experience was real and to anchor it. And if that's true, and I think it is, if that's how we learn, if that's the, if that's the truth of epistemology, then, uh, then every moment is absolutely pregnant with possibility, no matter what the overbearing structures are. Because you still have to live, and then you have to live with that. You have to live with that as the motivator so that you can be self-motivated to short-circuit the pleasure principle. You have to have a structure that can withstand the moments when you're not feeling so good. And that has to be an architecture of uh, of uh, ideas and, and, and proofs, but it's built out of the experience. It's a lot, it, it's, it expresses itself as a result of the experience. Love all objects in your perception. Right on. Right on. Peace and chicken grease, guys. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm anywhere there, near there, personally. I, I believe, but, you know, whether that belief uh, still is enough to generate action is uh, intermittent at best, I must say. Uh, but I have to also have faith that that'll change. And that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me hanging on. Funny thing is, Fukuyama was correct. It's so funny that people say he was owned. Fukuyama was right. It's just that... Uh, what that meant, what end of history meant, is not what people were imagining. Because I think because of uh, the normative assumptions that we have, where, you know, if you're a guy like Fukuyama, who was a conservative, and you're arguing that this is the end of history because of capitalism's uh, victory, you would sort of assume that that meant, there, and that's a good thing, and that, that that's going to be good for us, and that we're going to thrive in that situation. That's the part that, of course, and that things are going to be peaceful. And that's the part that got roasted by events in the 20th century. 
But if you remove that assumption that this means that he's means and therefore that's going to be good for people, the argument complete is completely persuasive because since 1989, there has been no existing uh, global center for opposition to capitalism. And therefore, since there is no center of opposition, since it's, since capitalism is one in every place, except in, you know, like the fucking, what, like the back country of, uh, of Uttar Pradesh, where the fucking Naxalites are and like FARC territory. Capitalism rules everywhere. And that means that history has ended because that battle between classes has ended. The, the ruling class has won. And that means we get the common ruin that comes after. But in the sense that, uh, in the sense that history did end and that the struggle for history, Cuba, I would say is the best. Thank you for reminding me of Cuba. Actually, I would say that Cuba really is, if you want to have like a a, a, a a word to use for like that little flickering light in your heart that you got to keep stoked that tells you, you no that there is a new there is a different way to be there is a different way to relate to the world that can allow us to act differently and not be overwhelmingly enslaved by the algorithm and pulled by like fucking iron filings by the algorithm and the, and and it's hard to believe that. Practically, I mean, you have to have, like, that's why it has to be spiritual. But, you know, you also need uh, examples in the here and now to, claim, to, to, to draw solace from, if nothing else. And Cuba has got to be it. Cuba has got to be the name of the fire. Because, they, my God, they, 60 fucking years. 60 years. After the, the Soviet Union collapsed, their economy went into complete fucking freefall. And the kind of thing that caused every other communist regime to, to pack in the fucking tents. And they did it. And the thing is, there's no way they could have done it if it was a dictatorship. I'm sorry. They couldn't have done it. The math is pretty clear. When you have a brittle dictatorship on top of that degree of social... Con, uh, social uh, Crisis, they collapse. It is an X and Y problem. Especially being pushed over by the United States on the outside at the same time. Are you fucking kidding me? That is a textbook example of uh, everyone. every time you have that situation, the regime collapses. But it didn't. You cannot say uh, because of dictatorship. Dictatorships fall under much, much less dire uh, uh, economic circumstances. There is democratic, uh, there is a broadly felt democratic participation in government. They feel like they're actually in, uh, part of the thing, that they're not passive spectators to the thing. They feel like they're part of it. You can argue whether as much as they are, but they feel like it. And that means that in a crisis, they will pull together a little bit and not push outward against uh, the perceived cause of the problems. Of course, I'm sure there's repression too, but how could there not be? There is in every fucking society. 
but it is socially expressed to some degree or it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have survived. And then it's, then they came back and, and fucking Fidel died. And everyone assumed that when Fidel died, that it would just be instantaneously, there'd be McDonald's on the fucking beaches of Havana and nope. And then they even passed it outside of the fucking Castro family. It's, uh, yeah, it's got to be, you got to protect it. You got to protect the flame. And that means, of course, every critical thing to protect uh, Cuba. Which, sadly, for most of us, isn't much. We can post about it. But who knows? Something might occur. They're international. So we need more solidarity. That's for damn sure. But keep an eye out. I don't have any ideas, though. All right. Bye-bye.